What's up, humans? Welcome back to the Human Music Podcast. I'm Luke Rain, and this is episode 72, Albie Makes It Juicy. This week on the Human Music Podcast, we interviewed newly minted dojo black belt Albie, fresh off his really cute EP, a collab with vocalist Jassy. We asked about his songwriting process and sample selection, how he keeps a positive mind state with producing, what's his favorite track off his EP, and much more. Our song of the week, of course, is Juicy by Albie and Jazzy. You can go down below to support that release. You can buy it on Beatport and help it hit the charts, or just support it on Apple Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you like to listen. We highly appreciate you. Go check it out, Albie and Jazzy. Uh, their whole EP is dope. Recommend you picking it up. Uh, then also, please support our sponsors, Dojo TV, where you can get free producer live stream classes from the producer Dojo Senseis, and the weekly download, where you can learn from Ill Gates and his private weekly group lessons and get access to over 250 more episodes in the archive for just 20 bucks a month. And guest practices, where you can learn from Seth Drake at the Approach Institute. He's the best engineer we know, and your first class over there is free. Get more episodes, socials, and sample packs down at uh, humanmusicpodcast.com. That's thehumanmusicpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at humanmusicpod or follow us everywhere else at thehumanmusicpodcast. We appreciate y'all for being here. Now let's get on into this episode with Albie. Hello, people of Earth. This is Tesco with Rip Kenny and Trap Jesus, and you're listening to the uh, Human Music Podcast. Woo! Hmm. Human Music Podcast. I like it. What's up, humans? We are live on Dojo TV. Human Music Podcast back at you with another one. And we have the one and only Albie. New black belt kicking ass in the dojo. Just did a Dojo TV takeover recently and kicking all sorts of ass. What's good, Albie? What's up? What's going on? Super stoked to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Pumped to have you. Yeah, so, yeah, man. Uh, usually on these interview episodes, we just like to start with, like, your superhero origin story. How did you come to be the producer you are today? Like, what got you started? What were some pivotal moments along the way? Um, That's a cool question. Uh, So, I've always kind of been involved in music. Jazzy is here, too. But, uh, <laughs> hey, but uh, I grew up... Um, like playing guitar at a young age, kind of playing drums and everything, bass a little bit. I'd play in like worship band and whatnot at church. Uh, and then I actually went into the music program at like our local like community college, like got a little scholarship there. So I like learned music theory and did like classical guitar and jazz guitar. And then that like burnt me out. Basically, I was like, I'm done. Like, this is too much. I do not want to like teach classical music. Like, you know, I'm over it. Like, so I started looking into other things and like didn't really do much with music. And then I guess like 
couple of years ago, I, you know, started to get back into it more. I was like, hey, hold up. There's actually like new bands. There's like new types of music. Like, what's this stuff? This is pretty cool. Went to some music festivals and I was like, oh, okay. Like, I get it now. And uh, I kind of went from like, from like jam bands like Umphreys McGee and like Pigeons Playing Ping Pong and stuff. And then that kind of like transferred into more electronic stuff. Like I think the floozies were kind of like a gateway because it was like, Oh, what's going on? Dude's got a guitar. Dude's playing drums. Like they're going hard. There's all these crazy songs, like all these crazy sounds. I mean, like what's happening? Like, this is a party. Like, this is cool. Uh, and then kind of like, I think then I was like, all right, this electronic stuff's cool. And like about that same time, I was like, I played guitar a lot. So I was like picking up the guitar, like trying to like find bands to play in and stuff. And then that kind of turned into like, all right, let's do a floozies type thing and have live drums and a guitar with electronic stuff. And that was like before I started really like producing it all. So it's like, that was like kind of, it was a lot of fun. I don't want to call it a disaster. Like, you know, a bunch of friends had a really good time at shows, you know, but I was like, all right, I still don't know what I'm doing uh like and then i kind of found out about ableton i was like oh like you can do all this like from a laptop that's pretty neat uh maybe i should look into that because it's like i've always known i mean because like learning music theory and stuff and going to music school it's like you got to like write down entire compositions like for like an orchestra and shit and like that's like tedious it's all by hand and it's for a song you don't even like you know what i mean you're not writing a song (laughs) Like you do all this stuff and it's like, all right, hold up. Like they've got this in the computer now and you can do it like at home. That's pretty neat. So like, uh, I guess it was like two years ago, I bought a laptop, like this little cheap little PC laptop for like a thousand bucks. And I got Ableton and I was like, all right, I'm gonna learn to do it. And then immediately you open it up and it's like, holy shit, like what is happening? You know what I mean? Like, like what, you know, like, like what, I don't know what to do with all this. This is, I'm not a computer programmer. I'm not like, like, how am I supposed to be creative in this environment? Um, So that was really like the big part where it's like, okay, like you might know how to write songs already, you know, like, or whatever, you might have all this knowledge, but like now you've got to figure out a channel to like put it through and you got to figure out, you know, all this software stuff uh, to do it. So that's kind of where it was started with like, you know, YouTube university, like watching Mr. Bill videos and stuff like that. And there's a lot of good free stuff online you know, a lot of good information on YouTube, but there's also a lot of bad information on YouTube too. So like, uh, I guess it was like, it was probably a year and a half ago around January or so last year that I found the dojo and I was like, okay, this is cool. Like, you know, track feedback, one-on-one lessons, like all that stuff just really is like, okay, this is like, here are all the tools I need to like, you know, learn everything and move forwards. Uh, so that was like kind of how it happened, I guess. And then like once, uh, I don't know, eventually once you get comfortable enough in Ableton and you just, you know, once you know enough things that you can go into Ableton, sit down, write a song, 
without ever getting stopped for something that's going to take five or 10 minutes for you to learn something or whatnot. Cause it might be something simple and it might only take 30 seconds to do, but like it breaks your creative process completely. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and that line of thinking might not come back the same way later. So it's like, once I knew enough stuff, I was like, okay, this is cool. I can just like write music now. Uh, and then I guess we're kind of here now. Um, like as soon as I came into the dojo, of course I was like, all right, there's like black belts. I got to be one of those, you know, how do you do that? Oh, you got to release an EP. That's cool. Like that's something artists do. I think, you know, maybe we'll do that. Um, (laughs) and then, uh, so it feels like, it feels like a pretty quick journey from like just learning the software and like how to use it to something that I would consider, you know, like a pretty original style. Mm-hmm. Um, when, uh, have you like from day one, when you started working in the computer, did you always kind of have the same style that you do now? Or is that something that just evolved quickly? No, that came on its own. That came from stopping like, like for me, like not trying to emulate a style or, you know, try to do something that was just me like playing around. Um, Cause yeah, originally I would like try to do these things, you know, I'd try to do what this artist is doing, try to do what that artist is doing. Uh, but no, that the style of the EP, like I still don't think I fully comprehend what it is. You know, I don't think I will for a couple years, but like, yeah, it all came in like, um, yeah, it kind of came in just naturally. Uh, cause I met Jazzy and we started dating and like three weeks later we started doing pop and champagne. We started making that song. And, uh, I mean, it kind of just came out of like the music we were listening to and just what we thought would sound cool. We were listening to a lot of hip hop and stuff. We were listening to a lot of pop music and then I was listening to a lot of bass music, you know, and she'd listened to it with me a lot. You know, she's kind of like been learning what electronic music is through the whole like EP making process, which is fun. Uh, so this is like really the first uh, project you guys have done together, yeah? Yeah, it's the first project she's ever done, really. She's never actually tried to mm-hmm. record vocals or anything. I was just kind of like, I'd hear her singing along. Like, we'd listen to a lot of hip-hop. She'd be rapping along, along no, every word. And I'm like, damn, that sounds tight. Like, you want to be on a song? Like, uh, And she was like, yeah, I'd be down to try that. And then I like, (laughs) that's awesome. Yeah. I worked really hard to try to make it like easy on her and fun for her. And like probably the first song I could have done a better job, but like, you know, now it's like, I'll wait till we have like, I've got a tight beat, you know, and maybe a melody and everything and really words. And I'll try to keep her with the mic in her hand for like five or 10 minutes at a time, you know, and Mm. then just like stop. And then I'll go play with it later. Uh, so, so it's so there's there's a period of time that it, that you obviously shortcutted that that I went through and I I would say almost everyone goes through where like you said you're 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 trying to emulate people that you like right and so you you shortcutted that step and you just went to like straight to what do I want to make which is already like a huge like shortcut level up but then the other thing is like the fidelity like the quality of your music like from a from like a mixed down mastering standpoint is also really high. Is that something that you 
had previous experience from like, you know, music school, familiar with EQs and compressors and all that? Or is that something you learned in the short period of time as well? Because normally you don't see people do both quickly, right? You, you they either land on something original, but like the production isn't super tight or it sounds really good, but it's like not that authentic. Um, so I'm just curious what that journey was like for you as well. Um, I did a little bit of like mixing stuff when I was younger. My dad would, would run sound for like local venues and stuff. So I'd sure. like, you know, help him set up the sound system. I'd be watching them at the board and everything. Um, so, and I knew what a compressor did for the most part when I joined yeah. the dojo and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a lot of, I was definitely really well equipped when I came into it with like a lot of background knowledge. Like I understood a lot of the terms and everything. Like I didn't have to try too hard to understand compressors and limiters and a chorus and an echo and everything. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It kind of just came along the way. It kind of just came naturally. It was kind of a long question. Um. <laughs> no, totally. And it, it's, yeah, and it's, it's, it's just trying to dissect like, you know, how you got to this point so quickly. Cause I think a lot of people in the dojo, Oh, I didn't work uh, much. My, yeah. I took on debt. Yeah. I just like, didn't work yeah, at sure. all. I spent, no, I really did. Uh, like yeah. I already like hated like what I was doing for work and everything. Uh, yeah. I spent a lot of time when I should have been working, uh, like in Ableton, like I just like sacrificed a bunch of shit, like mostly like personal time and like splurging with money uh, and like, yeah, going to work and saving money. It's like, I just didn't do that. I was like, nah, I'm going to spend time in Ableton. Uh, so like, yeah, yeah I've got to, at this point, like I'm at the point where it's like, oh shit, I'm going to, I've got like a really big chunk of time, like a couple months where I'm just going to be like working and paying off debt. Uh, so that's part of it. But yeah, I think I don't know really. Um, so like, so so for me, I think some some takeaways that I distill from listening to your music that I think might be beneficial for people to hear. Um, first is not over over complicating. Like you can have complicated sounding music without over complicating the elements you put into the song, right? You have some very complicated sounding sounds, however you got to them. Um, But there's not like a ton of stuff that's like getting in the way of each one. So A, keeping what you're making to just exactly what needs to be there and nothing else is a, is a quick way to have stuff sound good. And then also sounds like your, your background in music, like your ear for when something is not in the right place that's that's also a big part of that right so um luckily being involved in music from a young age like you had a bit of that ear um and then also like i said like keeping your music um like complex but simple just not having anything unnecessary um i think are two two big things that that i would say contribute to the like fidelity of your music right so for for people listening a, it takes time to get the ear, so don't worry about that. Just keep grinding, like spend more time working on music. It just it'll come naturally. But B, the thing that that took me forever to learn is if like you start turning something down because you don't know if it should be there or not, just get rid of it, right? Because you <laughs> probably don't need it. 
Um, is there anything else like off the top of, off the back of those two things that you think would be a good lesson yeah. for, for people? Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you said that. That kind of like put my brain where it needed to be with the whole idea. Yeah. Everything has to be intentional. Um, so there's this idea that you need to break everything when you're in Ableton. Like it's a, and it's a sound design idea. I think it's, uh, I think it's important that we've got to put ideas into a group. Like, is this an idea that I'm using while I'm doing sound design? Or is this an idea that I'm using while I'm writing a song, you know, because like unintentional stuff, those happy accidents and everything like are awesome for sound design and like early stages of a song. Those are cool. But like once you get down to it, it's like you're playing with sound. So like if somebody's not going to hear the sound, like why is it there? Like everything in your like composition has to be 100% intentional. And it's got to be placed there with like 100% confidence. Um, like I'm not a confident person. I don't think in general, but like when you're producing, like, and you pick a sound, you have to be 100% confident on where that sound is and that, you know, you like that sound, everything about that sound, you know what I mean? You have to like everything about the sound and you have to like where you put it, uh, in the arrangement. Um, too. So yeah, sample selections, everything. And if you're doing sound design, then, you know, you're just using your own samples. So the same thing applies. Sample selection is everything in the song. Uh, yeah, if you don't, I'm quicker to like, instead of do a bunch of sound design on a sound that doesn't fit, I'm going to look for a new sound. I'm going to put a new sound in there like 99 times out of a hundred, you know, cause it's like, like if that sound doesn't sound good, then why are you using it? You know, if it's not the sound you want, then get yeah. the sound you want. It's like, sure. Like you can theoretically make any sound out of anything. Like we could take a white noise sample. And like this might be good as an exercise to learn some stuff, but like you could probably turn a white noise sample into a kick, into a snare, into a synth. You know what I mean? Like you could manipulate enough to where it's like, all right, cool. I've got a synth. I've got a baseline. Uh, you make a whole sound song out of it, but like, you know, is it going to sound good timbrely? Like, uh, like you made a whole song and that's what you wanted to use. So yeah, being a hundred percent intentional with stuff in your composition, in your arrangement and yeah, having confidence with where you place things too, uh, is good because then you're like, while you're writing, you're like, you know, you can kind of, you'll feel that confidence later because in your head, you've got weight on this beat. So you're writing weight there in your, you know, like you're writing from that, you know, that weight carries from this kick to this snare like this. And you know that things are moving from there. So like you're confident that you've got these two really cool spots that goes from here to here. And then you move forward more from there. Um, I think, one thing that helps me a lot is working in really small chunks, like a two bar chunk and not moving forward from anything. If I'm not happy about something like a lot of the beats I mess up uh, or I don't come back to, it'll be because like I started to make something and then say I get to the hi hat and I put in a hi hat like pattern and it doesn't sound exactly how I want to. But I can't figure it out, so I kind of move on. You know what I mean? 
And then I've got this weird rhythm that shouldn't be there. And then like I'm building these other things that I don't even know if they're quite there yet. Cause that one thing's not there. And then you get these, yeah. like you get this jumbled mess of like unintentional items in your arrangement. And it's yeah, like really 100%. hard to like come back to that. So a lot of those beats I won't even like revisit. Uh, I'm much, I'm much the same in that. Like I take, I take, extensive amounts of time to get what I have correct before moving on. And it's something that as I've gotten better as a producer, it takes more and more time in my writing process to get everything right as I go, as my bar gets higher for like Mm -hmm. what it should sound like. Right. Um, and, and so I noticed that like the, the front half of making a song has gotten like longer and longer and longer, like to, to get right. And then like the back half gets easier as I get better. Cause it's like, I have more knowledge on like how to finish. And also if the stuff in the, if all the stuff is right already, like it doesn't take too much work or as much work to get it to the finish line. Right. How, how long would you, have you noticed that at all? Like how long would you say it usually takes you to make like a typical, like rough draft of a song? A rough draft of a song. I like to spend, <sighs> about six or eight hours so a day and i do it in like basically two sessions you know i'll start and then i'll realize like oh shit i haven't eaten anything and then i'll like go eat and smoke (laughs) and then come back uh and then yeah because like you can do timer beats and you can do in 30 minutes but that's not the pace i like to work at i'm not gonna have like those like really nice hand-picked sounds if i do it that way so yeah uh and sometimes that six hours, like, I won't like the beat, you know what I mean? And I won't come back to it. Or, uh, like, sometimes it'll be pretty much a whole song and it'll be arranged. But sometimes it'll be, like, you know, a little eight-bar section, a little 16-bar section, a little eight-bar section. And, like, the only thing I like out of it is, like, a little eight-bar section. But I can go from there. But generally what I find is that, like, no matter what part of it's good. So if one part of it's good, I know that it's going to be complete. I don't need to add effects to it. I don't need to add, you know what I mean? I don't need to change stuff. It's already mixed. It's like, for me, it's already mastered because I'm doing it myself. Most of the time, I'm just smashing into pro L2. Basically, uh, lately I've been starting in the red when I make my beats, but I don't know. Um, I keep getting people, I keep having people telling me that like, you know, my mix sounds good or my master sounds good. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll just keep doing it myself. Um, Cause I kind of like, I don't know. I found out from Mr. Bill that you can use pro L2 and master your own music and render a master out of the same project file. And I was like, Hmm. And then like, I got into the habit of, well, I'm working on a song. I like it to be like, I like it to be commercial loudness pretty early you know uh so usually in that six hour session like it's usually a couple hours into it i'm like hmm i wonder what this would sound like if it was mastered and like everything's going to be mixed together because like it's part of that uh doing things intentionally thing like once you find a sound that you like you like the sound it fits in the arrangement and this rhythm this exact spot you like how it you know fits there exactly it's like you should put it there at the volume, like relative to the other ones. You should, it should be mixed, you know, already in my mind. So like generally when I do that, it's not a big thing. It's like, okay, here's a limiter. 
turn the gain up. Okay, like check span, check spectrum. Like, all right, cool. It's up to mastering loudness, you know. Uh, and theoretically, if you like all your sounds and you like how your sounds play together, you don't actually need anything else added to your song, you know. To like, I mean, maybe those expensive compressors will make it sound better. I'm sure they probably would, but like, I don't know. That's where I'm at. Recently, I have started to start more with the like mixing in the red approach, though. So, like, anybody listening, mm-hmm. any new producers, like, mix in the red while you're right. Don't carelessly smack in the limiters. But that's how I got my sound is by doing that and writing basically at, you know, like most of the stuff I write at, I'm pretty much always at like minus seven lefts, you know, like while I'm in a beat, if it's a hip hop beat, you know, maybe minus eight lefts or whatever, depending on what's in it. Like, or if it's a drop, like minus five lefts, but I don't know. That's just me. If you're watching, don't do that. Mix in the red. <laughs> it's Mike. Mm. So I'm curious, um, like talking about the sound design a bit, there was quite a bit of like vocal manipulation and cool yeah. stuff like that done. And, and I feel like that's very much like a sound designy aspect. I'm curious, uh, like when it comes to fitting the vocals into the song, do you like get the whole beat done first and you lay the vocals on top? Do you come back to the beat after do any additional production? And uh, like, how does that kind of fit in the process? And also like having gone through the process of writing the CP, do you find like you're getting to that part of the process earlier or later on? Or like, how is, how is working together uh, on this more like vocal based kind of music for that project kind of changed the way that you approach music? Um, very early on, just as far as getting the vocals from Jazzy, it's the same process. Like about the second song, we realized like, okay, if I'm doing this manipulating, you know, over vocal, like all the crazy stuff, like it really doesn't matter if her take is in key or on the beat at all. So, like, we can get that in one take if there's no pops or clicks. So, generally, we'll take two takes. And if I watch the waveform and, like, see that the waveform's good, like, we'll just move on. Uh, So, that's been, like, a really powerful tool to have in my back pocket because I know that it only takes, you know, five minutes to do, like, a song. If we're going to do, like, longer bars and everything, then, you know, okay, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know. Like even this making me rethink my whole life for that too. Seriously. Oh my god, there's so much beauty in the simplicity of <laughs> like everything. Like we're like asking you about all of these different aspects of production, and you're just like, no, nah, it's really simpler than that. It's like it's so it's awesome how easy you make it sound. Yeah, that I had to. I I wouldn't have gotten it done. You know, you have to like really like you know. Take, you got to grab all your tools, see what's around there and be like, okay, I, what do I want to do? It's like, okay, do I want to write some music? What's the easiest way to do that? What am I capable of doing right now? Uh, and side note really quick, when you go in to write a song, like for anybody listening, like you're not a student anymore. Like if you're a student at Dojo, like cool, like you're going to get better. But like when you go in to write a song, like you are not a student you are like all of your skills, like from your whole life, like things that have to do with music, things that have to do without music, 
jobs you've worked, school you've gone to, relationships you've had, like all those experiences are just like tools in your belt. Like you are not a student. You are not learning anything. Like when you go to write a song, like you've got to be like just a hundred percent confident, like a hundred percent you a hundred percent attention percent intentional with everything you do. And then like, sure. Like things like if you don't know how to mix, that's going to show when you do that. But like, if you go in to write a song like that, you know, uh, I feel like a lot of the times you're going to end up, you know, a little, it's a little bit harder when you're first starting out, but like, just use the tools, you know, and like get the job done. Like it's not starting out. It's not going to represent a hundred percent what you tried to do. Like even once you get really good at it, like the song that you make probably isn't going to a hundred percent represent what you're trying to do at all. Like it kind of takes its own direction a lot of times, but yeah, just for anybody out there learning, like when you go to write a song, for that 30 minutes or for six hours, whatever it is, you are not a student anymore. Like you are like, you just got to be the best that you are, you know, use all the tools in your belt. Like don't think about the tools you don't have. Don't try to learn new stuff. Write a song. Like, you know, yeah, don't, that's, I really like that. I advice. love that. That's such, yeah, such good advice. I mean, I, speaking from my own personal experience, that's something that I wish someone would have told me so much sooner because i probably spent like three four years like still not like when i went to write a song still not being like 100 percent confident in my choices like and even to this day when i'm mixing something i like i a b like six different ways of like processing it just to see like which one do i really think is better and and it it's it's helpful but also just hinders right because it, it's almost better to just be 100 percent confident in your choices like yeah that sounds good move on not like could it sound five percent better because like all of those could it sound five percent better like add up to like not not like not as much improvement as you would like right so like ha having such a big period of time where i wasn't thinking like that like when i went to write a song i was still like not super confident in my choices i feel like it led to a lot of over complication of the songs right adding a bunch more parts so i'm like oh, it doesn't really feel done yet or like i didn't know what done would sound like or i wasn't confident in the choice that i already made to be like yeah that's enough right like i like that that's enough um i, I just didn't think that way so for everyone listening like that like put a lot of weight in that piece of advice. It's like it, it, incredibly good advice. Yeah, that's one thing I wish I could just like transfer to people, but there's no combination of words really that can describe that to just help it click for somebody. But I feel like in, in like the decade plus that I've been making music, now when I sit down compared to before, it just feels like the resistance is gone. And it just feels like, I don't think about my decisions, not even you don't even need to be certain about your decisions so much, but you just need to like, I feel like for every like action you do a bit of your willpower gets depleted or your mental energy or whatever you want to call it. And now that one move you do can take 0.1% of your mental energy. Or if you think really hard about it, it could take 5%, but there's really no difference in the move. It's just your uncertainty. And I think for all of us, we're at the point where we've done everything enough times to where 
using a multiband compressor or doing this sound design technique doesn't really mean shit because it's not there's no novelty to it. We watched that tutorial like three years ago and then failed miserably at it like 20 times and then had a few successful times doing it and then came back a couple months later and realized that we didn't need it in 90% of the times that we used it in those older songs and blah, blah, blah. And all of that comes down to now you look at a multiband and you don't feel any kind of way towards it. You just see it for what it is and use it for when you need it. And and when you're at that stage, you truly come to realize like how little effects and all that stuff you really need to use and how much of it really comes down to leveling and all of that. And I think just the more confidence you gain and the less fucks you give in the decisions that you're making, the more of that mental energy gets preserved for doing the cooler stuff like later down in the writing process. Um, but yeah, that's something I always think about because I'm like, it's it's that like inner feeling where like I don't feel any type of way about doing a, like any part of the process anymore. Mm -hmm. And there's really no difference between me now and me then for a lot of the stuff I'm doing. Um, because again, it's not complex techniques. Writing a chord progression, you know, I, I was able to do that a couple years ago, but I just made it into this like, beast in my head kind of or i would overthink it or you know think back to that tutorial i watched or whatever um but yeah hopefully that makes sense like yeah it made a lot of sense for everybody in the chat um yeah, yeah i found this uh i like what you said about not using a lot of effects and everything because like uh if you're a person that uses a lot of effects in racks, like here's what you need to do on your next beat like on the next song you make go in make a whole song do not use any effects. You can put a limiter on the master. That's it. If you need to cut lows out of something so you can have a sub in there, you can do that too. Uh, mm -hmm. And maybe you can use a side chain. That's it though. No effects, nothing. Like just go in and find sounds that sound good and make a song out I've of it. I've even found that high pass filter is something I was overusing. And like I got it pointed out to me when I was getting working on a track with uh, that Ill Gates was helping me finish. And it was like, it's like, hey, there's something like your strings. Like, what what's going on? Are you filtering them out? And I like went and looked in it, and I was like, filtering all of the string samples. And he's like, yeah, take take those filters off and send it back. I'm like, oh yeah, now those strings sound way better. You were like taking out like the round body of, and so it's like you know, like you say, like it's not about the effects you put on or the craziness you add to things. It's about like starting with good sounds and intentionally putting them into good places. And even if you don't use a single effect, your song can still slap. Like those are all like the frosting on the cake. But if there's no cake there, nobody wants a pile of frosting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really I, that's a great analogy. And I think that's that's one of the big re reasons why I really like this EP is because you have all of the frosting, but there's a very solid cake underneath. Like you have these really like strong arrangements. The vocals are like memorable and fun and like quirky and unique and different and like all of the like quote-unquote songwriting components are there like the vocals the arrangement blah 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 but then you guys also do some really cool production stuff on top and i think um a lot of the times like people think it's like all the cool production stuff that really makes the song the song just like the icing doesn't make the cake all the cool little production ear candy and stuff isn't really what makes that ep great but it, it helps enhance like all of those fundamental parts. And, uh, you know, I definitely have found myself 
and I think this is a common trap, but find myself like skipping some of those like songwriting components of the song and jumping towards like the production kind of stuff. And then later in the process, realizing like I was missing some core components that could have made that like process go smoother, you know? Um, but yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there because that was one thing I appreciated listening through is like everything felt like a full song. It didn't feel like any, it, like it didn't feel like it was being carried by this like cool sound design technique that you know, or this wavetable that I haven't heard before or whatever, like everything fit together and, and like knew its place, you know? Hey, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yo, uh, something we were talking about a second ago hit me. Like you were talking about how, you know, you want to take the time in the writing process to make sure the sounds are in the right place and how um, timer beats, you know, weren't really doing that for you mm-hmm. because, you know, you're feeling rushed and you didn't get that. But you were also saying about the the confidence it takes to move forward with your writing decisions and it's interesting because like for me, before I did a bunch of timer beats, I felt a lack of that confidence. I was always second, third, fourth guessing every decision I made. And while I don't do a ton of timer beats now, the like the year I spent, I think it was maybe 2018 or 2019, just doing a shit ton of timer beats, like broke that part of my brain that was always second guessing everything. And so like, I really appreciated timer beats for that, but I did find like looking back on a bunch of those timer beats, it was like, Oh yeah, I'll just grab any sample and write with it. And probably more than half the time I'm sitting there like at the end of the process, like, yeah, but fuck now I got to replace a bunch of these sounds. So I'm just going to abandon the whole song instead. Yeah. So I think finding that balance there, like finding the way to, to gain that confidence well at the same time giving yourself the time and space and maybe that that is about like separating those times like you said spending a bunch of time on splice really listening to a ton of samples and only keeping the ones you're absolutely floored by um yeah, that i was gonna say that ties in perfectly to a question we just got in the chat yeah. from ogk mm-hmm. um he wants to know about your sound selection and how you got so good at sound selection so quickly. Um, sound selection being hard for everyone. What what would you say contributed to you know knowing what sounds to pick um, and and how to get there quickly? Um, that's a great question. I haven't even been watching the chat. Um, but uh, yeah, my background helped a lot with that. But then listening to a lot of music helps a lot with that. Just listening to like the samples that they're using, the sounds that you're they're using. Um, it's kind of so like with kicks and snares specifically, I use a lot of Matt Zoe's kicks from his pack. Mm-hmm. Um, Fire pack. Yeah. Usually once you find, so kind of the way I've, felt that it happens is like from doing that so like i'm all about jay dilla and i found this jay dilla pack you know what i mean and there's some like kicks and snares in there and like i don't know if he actually made them or whatever or if it was like a posthumous pack but anyway like i've got some of those kicks in there and they sound dope on their own but like once you start putting those in tracks and then kind of like a b in them like look like let's say it's a kick 
for example, you know what I mean? And we've got the kick at negative six DB and we're listening between the two kicks. It's like, once you start finding good kicks, like those other kicks aren't going to match up. Like you take any of those Matt Zoe kicks, put them at negative six DB and then put them against any of those J Dilla kicks. Those J Dilla kicks are not going to work for hardly anything. Probably not a hip hop tune either. Like unless you need a really small kick, it's like, uh, so like, you'll start to get to points like that where you start going through a lot of samples and then you start comparing them to like other similar samples and you're like, okay, it's like that sample really doesn't hold up. Um, so yeah, you've got to listen to a lot of them too. Uh, and like when I'm on splice, like sometimes like for that Matt Zoe for the kicks and snares, I knew those were good. Hexes told me those were good and I didn't know what good kicks and snares were. So I bought those, and then after I bought those, now I know what a good kick in the snare sounds like, you know. Uh, but for, like, other sounds, like, when I'm going through a pack, like, I'll go through a thousand and, you know, a thousand sounds and pick, like, ten of them. Uh, you know, like, you'll just go through and, like, find sounds that sound good to you. Um, <sighs> yeah, I'm going to pause on that really quick. Mm-hmm. I, I, I doubt I – doubt- many if any people in the chat or in in the three of us go through a thousand sounds and only pick 10 like i'm I'm probably yeah i know but that's still that's 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 one percent that's that's one in a hundred you listen to that you like so i i think one thing that might have flown flown over the top of my head and and others i just realized is that like that's 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 a lot more time picking the samples that are even in the folder that you have to pick from than than I spend or a lot of people probably spend. So more time getting just only great stuff to choose from is probably something that would that would benefit anyone listening to this that you know something to take away. Yeah, and that's just yeah. been like that large amount of time has just been recently, which we talked about this before the stream, I think. So we'll go back over it. Is recently yeah. I've kind of noticed that, like, you know, when I get to write a song, I don't have as many good samples as I want to have right at my disposal. And, like, uh, recently I felt like I kind of, like, leveled up a little bit on hearing how good samples are. So it's, like, at that time where I'm really coming back through and looking again and, like, sort of restocking, doing, like, a re-inventory or whatever you would call that. Uh, like of my whole library and kind of leveling it up. Um, but yeah, well, there's tons of sounds out there is the thing. And if you go in and just buy a pack here and there, it's like, okay, or how many song sounds in that pack do you actually like? And like, do you have to go through that whole pack to find those couple of sounds that you actually like? Um, so it's like it can seem when you're like looking for samples, it can seem sort of disconnected from the actual s- songs, like from their end result. I, what I mean by that is like, okay, so yeah, you have these big piles of samples, like all this stuff you can choose from. But like at the end of the day, that one sample is going to be in that one song in that one place. You know what I mean? Like you needed that sample. Like how are you get it's one sample and you're gonna spend some time, like however long you take to make your song, like a little bit of that song making process is gonna be devoted to that one sample. 
like pretty much everything we're doing when we're making a sound is like, okay, we're going to work on this sound now. Now we're going to work on this sound now. So like that one sound, that one sample, like you're going to use it for your song. So like if you spend that time, I don't know, I've just recently really, Kenny Beats talks about this a lot. I learned a bunch from, you know, watching his videos, watching his streams and everything. But yeah, he talks a lot about this, just like, you just got to be prepared with like all the best samples that like speak to you. You know what I mean? You don't want just like, okay, I've got the samples to make these beats and these beats and these beats. And I got this person's bases and this person's bases. It's like, no, you need to be equipped for you for the things you like to where when you sit down and make whatever type of beat it is or whatever type of song it is, like you're just ready and you've got this stuff on deck and it's stuff that you liked and you picked out and you're ready to use. Cause like that gets to more of the intentional writing. Cause like the more I think back, like I was not this prepared when I wrote the EP, you know, I was still learning all this stuff. Like I had that pack of kicks and snares from Matt Zoe and that helped me a lot, you know, cause it's like, all right, cool. I got sick drums. I just got to like match everything. Uh, and quick note, learning that, learning to like mix my songs around the kick and snare at like the same level, like really helped me writing. Cause usually if you've got the kick and snare at the same level, like you can just mix everything up to that, you know, uh, you mix your sub around your kick and then you can mix everything else like around that level. And if there's like discrepancies between it, like you just switch out the kick sample or switch out the snare sample. You know what I mean? Uh, that helped me a lot. It kind of gave me a little bit of like ground for songs. Cause like in the whole EP, uh, between the verses and the drops, like the drums are pretty much the same volume. Like maybe the verses are a decibel lower, like, and maybe I'm smashing into the limiter harder on the drops. But like, other than that, like kicks and snares are at the same volume. It's just like, you know, the more appropriate sample for the drops, it's just going to hit harder. Like how we talked about earlier, how those Matt Zoe kicks hit so much harder than the Jay Dilla kicks. You know what I mean? You would use more mm-hmm. of like a Dilla kick for like your hip hop verse. And then you come in with a hard Matt Zoe kick for your drop. You've still got your drums all at the same exact volume. You're just using more appropriate samples. Um, so that, that uh, makes me think of something. And we also got a kind of relevant question here in the chat from uh, Mike E. Camel Hotline. Shout out. He's asking, have you tried using a difficult sample as a challenge, like something you wouldn't gravitate towards? Um, I just want to throw a little uh, tidbit sprinkle here uh, and and pass the question back to you. Uh, I feel like it kind of ties into the sound selection question, though, because um, I think, um, like you mentioned uh, a point as well, like it's there's there's a lot of different sounds you could use and for a lot of different purposes. I think the most important thing is just knowing like why certain sounds are used in each genre. So like for dubstep, why do snares typically sound that way? Well, it's because it has to cut through the mix. So it needs to be very present, have a lot of highs. It needs to have a lot of intensity. It's an aggressive genre, blah, blah, blah. Versus like the Dilla kick, right? Like what's the context that samples used and so on. I think as long as you know, like the characteristics of each sample and you can kind of think logically about like, why is this being used in this genre, then you can start to make a bit different choices. And like, you can dive more into the quote unquote shittier samples to get like a more, I don't want to say unique sound that 
Uh, but like th that's one of the ways, right, is like using samples you wouldn't typically think of. And as long as you know, like, all right, I use this snare for a dubstep track and it's slightly less intense than your virtual riot dubstep snare. Maybe that means I have a bit more room to layer on like a white noise tail or something on the snare to match it a bit more. Um, I think as long as you have that kind of awareness, it becomes a lot easier to use these quote unquote difficult samples. Um, typically fine. They just need to like fulfill a certain like frequency range, have a certain amount of transients, be mixed at a certain level and so on. Um, and, and contrast between everything is very important as well. Um, but I'm curious, like for you and for your sound, when it comes to sample selection, like, um, do you have like any like area of your production where you tend to like lean more towards like traditional sample choices versus something a bit more experimental, um, like for your drums or your sound design or anything like that? Um, or do you just, do you have any like, uh, you know, feedback for Mike as far as like using you know difficult samples uh yeah so anytime you're writing a song like and you're in ableton you need to use the best tool for the job um that's not always the sample dry like usually you're gonna have to tune the sample you might have to warp it a little bit um and then sometimes you're gonna need a fix on it and then sometimes that's just not going to cut it. Sometimes you're going to need to make a sound. You're going to need to break out a synth. Sometimes you're going to need to make a weird sound. Um, but, and I find myself using weird sounds a lot. Like I'll hear something and be like, that's not what, you know, I was looking for. But I could see how that could kind of like play the same role. And then I'll start messing around with that. And then a lot of times that, you know, takes you to cool ideas. Because, like, this whole process of being intentional and confident and everything, like, it's not all like, okay, we're writing a song. I need a kick. Here's my perfect kick. Found it. Need a snare. Here's my perfect snare. Found it. You know what I mean? Oh, we got a banger. It's eight minutes later. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of playing around with sounds. Like, a lot of times when you're, like, tuning things around or listening to the sample or, like, duplicating things over, like, you'll make a mistake and you're like, okay, that's cool. So, like, that's where these happy accidents come into play and everything. But it's important to know that, like, you can have happy accidents along the way. You can do all this experimental stuff. You can still do sound design. But, like, you've got to, like, keep moving forward. You know what I mean? Once you do all that, it's still got to be intentional. Like, you know what I mean? You've got to say, like, I like that sound design that I did 100%. I like how I tweaked this weird sound and it went from here to here. And it's like, I meant to, you know, that works with the arrangement with what I'm trying to do. Cause like sometimes when you like start trying to use a weird sound, that's not supposed to do there, be there. Uh, I don't know. You'll just end up maybe wasting time, but that's kind of like, uh, you get to a weird point at that. If you're like not being completely productive and you're messing around with weird sounds, it's like, okay, if you keep going in Ableton and messing with weird sounds for an hour, like you're going to have some more material to where you come back to it tomorrow that you can kind of work through it. You know what I mean? You can hear what's cool out of it. Cause like, yeah, I think, sorry. No, you're ahead. good. Go for it. 
I was going to say, I think there's, there's a distinction here that I'm picking up from you that there's a big difference between a difficult sample and a different sample, right? Like something that is different or weird or that you wouldn't usually use, but still works well in the context of the song mm -hmm. is a lot different than a difficult sample, which is something that might be perfect, but needs more tweaking than others and takes too much of a oh. breaking out all the fine tools to make it work. I, I think, I think that might be a good differentiation here that, Amen. that I picked up from you that is like use, use different samples, mm -hmm. but like, don't, don't make the process like harder than it has to be for the sake of like, for, for the sake of using something like strange. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like use, use a, use a different or weird sample all, all day long. But if it takes too long to get it right or to get it to fit, like just pick something else. Cause like, like you said, like you got to pick the right sample for the song to start with and then be confident on that. If you pick something that's a challenge and you're screwing with it and you keep coming back and tweaking it, like just taking time away from like getting the actual writing done. Yeah. Uh, all right. True. A lot. Hey, of yeah. By the way, your mic, your mic dropped a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm having trouble with this. Point that back at you. No worries, but. All right. How's that? Nice. All right. Cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we're when you're in the writing process and having trouble with the sample like that like you know it's the right sound and you can't get it there yet um i guess i would suggest leaving it there like keeping that like sort of like intention in your head when that part of the song comes around you know what i mean and then moving forward from there so you can keep working and everything uh and i think a lot of times taking time away from it and then coming back to it uh, could mm -hmm. be productive. So at that point, even though I say everything needs to be intentional and confident, you can intentionally and confidently leave that sound that's not done right there. Uh, you know, and it shouldn't mess up too much stuff because I think if I think if it's the correct sample and it's being difficult, um, then that sounds like you know, something that needs to be fixed on the producer end. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing wrong with the sample. Like you just need to know more as a producer. So like for the sake of continuing writing, move on with that, put it on your notes and everything. But you know, when you come back to it, there's stuff you need to learn. So it's like, that's a real good separation right there. Like if you're a student and you're learning a bunch of stuff, you haven't put out any music you can't confidently say, yeah, I'm going to sit down and make a beat and like, it might not be good, but it'll be a release ready. You know what I mean? And if I do five of them, I'll have one that I could confidently release, you know, at least a two minute beat, you know, uh, like until you kind of get to that point. Um, yeah, just make notes of that and then move on and then look at, I don't know with Ableton's warping and everything. Uh, everybody here, if you're in Ableton, which I assume everybody is, you need to be like fucking masters on every warping algorithm in Ableton. And I guess this could kind of segue into the vocal processing um, that we started talking about earlier uh, and then kind of yeah. went away from because uh, with the vocal processing, I'm using a lot of the complex pro mode. Uh, 
So complex mode, which I think it defaults on, is like complex pro mode with the performance all the way down, I believe. Uh, so you pop over to complex pro mode and then you can play with the format knob. Uh, yeah, you should be able to to effectively go in and write. You need to be 100% on those fucking warping modes. Uh that's the thing. If you're running into that issue a lot of times where you have the perfect sample and you can't quite get it to fit right, uh, you need to practice more with the warping algorithms uh, because technically that sample should fit there. Um, so, yeah, I'd, you got to play around with them a lot. Um, really, the complex pro mode and with warp markers and everything, and it's super confusing at first. Um, but yeah, that's really a bread and butter of like using Ableton. It's, is those warp modes. Um, yeah, like most of the vocals, if they weren't auto tuned, um, so like I said, we would record vocals a lot and they wouldn't be quite on the beat. You know what I mean? Sometimes we'd record them without a beat, honestly. Uh, and then so I'd come in like in the complex pro mode and like I would put in markers for it. And sometimes I would chop it too. Uh, and it really just takes time doing that. Um, so just like playing around with it, warping a bunch of stuff, seeing what it sounds like, warping vocals, playing around with the different settings, see what settings, you know, sound like what uh, with vocals. I usually use the complex pro mode on like, you know, maybe 45 for the format setting. And then the envelope, uh, I think, defaults at 128, and I just leave it there most of the time. Uh, and usually that sounds pretty good. Uh, and that's generally all you should need to get a sample to fit. Um, like, you should be able to... Yeah, if the sample's perfect, you should be able to, like, manipulate it to that point. Um, a lot of times not warping the sample as much as possible can be cool. So if you turn warp off and can tune it in and can chop it up like that, you'll usually like retain uh, most of the natural timbres. Uh, once you start going into the warping modes though, which you're going to have to do with some of them, you start getting sort of artificial timbres. Um, but yeah, with the vocals on the EP, we would, yeah, pretty much everything is warped um, in that complex pro mode. Um, I'm doing a lot of basically drawing automation. Oh, you can't see my mouse. <laughs> I started drawing a little loop with my mouse. If you guys didn't see it, <laughs> but I would draw an automation with the clips. Uh, sometimes I would. Uh, we wanted the, we wanted the, you know, fake sound, the artificial sound. So like I would be, even though you can warp things or I'm sorry, not warp things, tune things like a sample that's out of tune, you know, you should be able to tune it and chop it without warping it and get it pretty close. You know what I mean? But, uh, but yeah, we would warp most things because we wanted to do that. And honestly, with a lot of samples, you're going to have to warp it a little bit. Um, but yeah, we would do a lot of 
just a lot of downward pitches. I hear hip hop does that a lot. They'll have just a do 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 come down with it. It's really like sort of monotonous, but it just kind of flows down with the pitch throughout the thing. So we would start doing things like that. And then we start doing like chopping out little chunks of it. You know what I mean? This little chunk here will be like low and this little chunk here will be high. Um, yeah, that's cool. Keeps it super fresh. Yeah, it was interesting. And when doing that, it's the same process as like riding a drop, like checkerboarding a drop. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, we went down on this one. Like this needs resolution. Something has to go up. You know what I mean? Uh, we did this one for this way. We got to do, you know, uh, this one this way. And then, you know, everything kind of needs its balance. Uh, so, yeah, with like writing the vocals, like, I mean, rhythmically for writing the vocals and doing the spots, it's exactly like checkerboarding a drop, honestly. Like, it's exactly like it. You've got this little section and then you do it again and it kind of changes on the melody. Then you do the first one again and then you have this last one that kind of comes, you know, full circle. So with the like tuning of the vocals and the manipulation of it, I would kind of do it the same way. It's like, all right, we got this first one. We'll kind of go like this. The next one will kind of go like this. The third one will kind of repeat the first one. And then the fourth one will kind of bring it all home. So, uh, that PVRD. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So you start seeing like, I don't know you start seeing like fractalizations of like these ideas of arranging and like checkerboarding and sequencing like pop up pretty much everywhere in your songs, you know? Uh, totally. But yeah, we do a lot of warping with that. And then when we weren't doing just the natural ones, we would use auto tuna, which is a free max for live plugin. Uh, this is a really shitty auto tune. Uh, like so shitty it like messes up the phase of the vocals so like i'd put that on and then i'd have a utility on it afterwards soloing the left side just so like you'd have a mono vocal again uh just because the phase was all messed up uh but yeah anytime we were using the auto tune i would be manually tuning the vocal into it so in the complex pro mode so a lot of the thing I don't like about autotune in general is like anytime autotune sounds unintentional, um, you know, that's just like, it's, I don't know. I, my ears hear right through it. You know what I mean? It's like, you weren't trying to do that. So like with having the autotune, like I would intentionally, instead of having like a key selected, I would have certain notes selected at certain times and maybe automate that. Or maybe I would, you know what I mean? like tune into it. So we're definitely the auto tune is definitely grabbing this one note right there. You know what I mean? And like that all kind of just was basically treating the vocals the same way I would treat like writing the main, like lead sounds or bass sounds for a drop, you know, nice. like essentially the same way it's an instrument and you're telling a little story with it. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, that was a thing because I really like the auto tune and I feel like the EP does, I mean, it's pretty heavy auto tune, but which auto tune was it? Auto tuna, like tuna fish. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 yeah it's a free max for live patch. Uh, and I just use it on like the hundred percent setting, like the maximum 
uh, or best quality, I think it's called. And then like, you know, just solo one side. So it's mono again, but yeah. Yeah. If you, yeah. Auto, I feel like auto tune that's intentional. I like, uh, when it's just like randomly hitting notes, I don't care for it too much. Um, yeah, I feel you. Um, you're talking about, you know, writing a vocal and processing it like you would a, a melody or a baseline. And that lines up with the question we got from OGK, who's curious if you write like your drums first or if you write your leads first. Oh, um, that's a good question. Generally drums. Um, it's always different. Um, because sometimes you'll have, actually, I guess I do normally start with, so a lot of times how I'm starting with my drums is I'll have a kick on one and then my two snares and I won't have any fill kicks past that. Uh, and then like, I picked that up from hexes too. Yeah. And then maybe, I don't remember if he told me that or if, I don't know. Anyway, It, it was on the weekly download he did about drops. Okay. Sick. I think I heard Mr. Bill say it one time where he like did in the stream and he was like, that's pretty much all we need for electronic drums. And then he moved on. I was like, what? And then like later I kind of realized like, Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, I'll generally start like that. So like maybe I'll have that and then I'm playing around with my lead sounds from that. Um, and then generally once I have like lead sounds that I like, maybe then I'll know where that fill kick comes in, like where that weight needs to be. Um, but yeah, so probably drums like first. Simpler, the simpler part of your drums yeah. first and then add the complexity to it once you know what the, what the section is doing. Yeah, a better answer is that I don't know and that it's always different. Um <laughs> I think that's a perfectly fine answer. I don't think I don't think we got to stick to any one approach to order of operations, you yeah. know, the same algebra out here. It's it's songwriting is we get a little more creative license, right? Yeah, and kicks and snares hold a lot of weight too, so it's like um I don't know, for me I like to, once I'm writing leads for a drop or whatever, um, like, I guess it's not that important if it's like, you know, an intro section or chill section, but like for a drop, it's like, I know there's going to be a heavy kick there on that downbeat. I know there's going to be these snares there that hold a certain amount of weight. So like, I'm generally going to get those there pretty quick, you know, um, in the writing process, just because they're kind of throwing those leads those leads back and forth, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. Everything plays together in the song. Yeah. Like when you're done with the song, like all people hear is like a string of music. It's just one sound. It's just the song. So like, yeah, I think, I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah, weird. It's Everything kind of happens at the same time, but I think nice. it's really nice when you're writing lead sounds, like for a drop specifically, if you can have like a whole beat done under it, so you got like perks, you got a kick in the snare, you got a sub going, like you got a whole song to where it's like, okay, I could write anything over this. I could put vocals over this or I could put drop sounds over this. 
Like, I think yeah, that's I a real that. strong place to be in writing if you can get there. Yeah, if your drums, if your drums and bass work, yeah, the song, the drop works, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen to that. Definitely makes it easier. Yeah, um, got a couple more questions here from the chat. Big up chat. Big, Big up, up chat. Um, <laughs> Chef Womp is asking, very relatable, how to not feel cringe when coming back to old tracks. How do you approach? Oh, it? I never go back. I delete all my <laughs> old tracks. That is the best way to not feel cringy. <laughs> don't even poem. look. <laughs> no. Yeah, I deleted a lot of old stuff. Like a lot of my timer beats I deleted. Um, some of my timer beats I would delete right after I made them. Uh, I don't know because right now I'm at the point where I'll listen to my Dojo EP and like I'll cringe about it a little bit. Um just because it's like, I don't know, I think as an artist, like you always go through those things. Like you always have to be questioning yourself, you know what I mean? And like, so maybe it's mm-hmm. a subconscious thing where it's like, okay, I know my second EP is going to be better. So I should like try to top my first one a little bit, you know, but, uh, yeah, yeah I don't know. That's a tough question. Um, I think you should get feedback on that old stuff and, uh, maybe to those people that you're asking with feedback on, you ask them if it's an idea worth moving forward on. Cause then it doesn't matter what type of mood you're in. Uh, and you can like get somebody else's help with whether or not you should move forward with that or like what, uh, directions you could maybe take with that. Yeah. Because yeah, I don't know. You can go back and forth. Like I said, right now, like I don't like my dojo EP that much. Like, I know it's good, but I it's do. like, I listen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but it's like, and that's released music. So yeah, with other songs I go back to, uh, I don't know. And I leave a lot of old stuff behind because I think that like, you can like re-listen to it and get feedback on it, send it to people for feedback still. You know what I mean? Like get that knowledge of like, what's wrong with it and everything. Uh, and once you have that list of things and that knowledge, you can like mentally process all of that without actually going back to the song. And then that next song you write, you're going to have all those skills still, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. but yeah, I would get another ear on your stuff with it. Cause like, sorry, Ethan, like that's just like being a musician. Like you're going to think your shit yeah. sucks sometimes. <laughs> so, like, and I find like, I find for anyone, like, the cream rises to the top, right? Like, if you're working on something and, like, the general idea that you started with is so good that you're like, oh, my God, like, I can't wait to, like, have this full song done. Like, this is going to be so sick. And then, like, you hit a roadblock. Like, that that is one that you would want to send for feedback. Be like, what's not working here? But then there's also beats where you're like, I like, I like a lot of this. And I don't know what's wrong with it. But I like a lot of it. Like that, that's the one that you're not, you're probably not going to finish that one. And probably for good reason, right? Like if, if there's something really good about it, like you'll, you'll think about it later. Like, like six months down the line, you'll be like, oh yeah, that it'll just pop into your head. You'll be like, oh man, I really need to finish that one. And those are the ones like, yeah, like exactly like you said, reach out to someone, get some other ears on it, get some different, get some direction on, on, on what to start working on to get back into it. Um, but yeah, normally I find that the cream rises to the top. Yeah. And 
what you said a minute ago was so powerful, and I think it bears repeating. Like, ask if this is even a song you should move forward with at a certain point. Like, when we're first beginning, yeah, just make something. Just get out of your own way and just make shit. And then most of those tracks aren't going to come out, and that's great. But when you're, like, getting to the point where you're releasing music, having somebody to bounce shit off of, like, hey, I've got these 10 tracks I've been working on the last couple months which ones of them work and having somebody you trust just be like, yo, these three are it. And those seven you can let go is so powerful because then instead of having 10 songs to work on, you've got three songs to work on and a bunch of brain space to write another one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, when you post tracks for that sort of feedback, make sure you make a note of that to them. Like make yeah, sure you let them know. And like, I'm like, I'm going through stuff. Like, is this something that's worth me spending 40 more hours on? You know what I mean? Like, let it, you know, it's like, it's cause if not cool, I can make another beat like this in an hour. Easy. Like done it before. I know you can make a beat like, you know, you can make beats quick, Ethan. Like, so like when you do that, it's not like, you know, uh, yeah, definitely make a note of that when you drop a track for that yeah. sort of feedback. But yeah, that's super like useful feedback. I'm going to be doing with that with some of my tracks here soon. You know, it's Amen. like, all right, because I'm that's, not sure yeah. like which ones are actually worth it. I know they're all kind of tight, yeah. you know what I mean? But it's like, that's, is- that's huge. Like, like I, I, I wish people would take your advice when submitting for feedback on, on stuff like that. Because sometimes, you know, like, you know, you know, a producer is good. And they, they submit a track and you're like, you know, like, I don't, I don't know if this is your best. And then sometimes they submit one that's like, oh my God, this is amazing. But then like, you don't, you don't, as the person giving feedback, like you don't want to tell them like, yo, don't like this one's beneath you. Like just make another one. Like that's something that someone giving feedback, unless you ask for that rarely is brutally honest enough to give you. But for me, the producer Oh my God, would I hope that someone would tell me that because that's going to save you a lot of time and energy on the ones that don't matter. Right. But like rarely, if ever does someone put that as a, as a footnote in like asking for feedback, like, and you know, if like, if you don't feel like this one's working, like I have some reservations too, just like, let me know it's not the one and I'll, I'll make another one. Cause that is such more useful advice than like, yeah, the B section could be better and the lead, like, you know, screw with that. And like, you're just you're just going down the wrong path right yeah. so really keep that in mind when submitting yeah i think you know it's it's important because sometimes you think the song is so dope because of some little ego hang up where it's like oh i pulled something off that i never pulled off before i applied what i learned in the youtube tutorial successfully and so this song must be good or i spent 50 hours on it already it must be good and it's not and you need somebody to tell you that and Sometimes you might be like just in your own head and be like, oh, this sucks. I tried to do something and it didn't work. And you show it to somebody else and they're like, nah, fuck you. This is gold. Like speaking of which in the chat, uh, Stephen Chaos put, did any of you know that Dioro almost didn't release five hours? I'd love to know the rest of that story because, you know, shit, son, like classic among classics. And, and apparently it almost didn't see the light of day. So. You know, getting so many stories like that. Getting trusted ears on stuff is important. Every track is like that for me. When I'm writing something, I always hit a point where I'm like, 
you know, maybe I'm just going to call it like, fuck it. I don't know. And then you keep pushing and, and you get to the end with the, but those are with the ones, you know, need to be finished. Right. But that, yeah. that happens frequently. Yeah. Um, we got another question from blue matrix. Shouts out blue. Uh, how much time do you spend daily or weekly learning and practicing since you came to the dojo and like how much, weekly download are you watching how much like ableton specific learning are you doing oh that's a good question all right we'll break it down uh right now zero Uh, i just started giving feedback uh i've been writing music like yeah the past couple months like no time like i've been giving time back even a little bit um like a year and a half ago when i joined the dojo uh it was 12 hours a day for a while. Like I binge watched all the weekly downloads in like two weeks. Cause I got like this thing where I could join for like a dollar or whatever. I was like, Oh cool. I'll just like absorb all this information and then keep looking for free or cheap stuff. Cause I was doing like YouTube stuff. And then like I started watching and then like, I was like, Oh, this is super useful. Like, Oh, I've got track feedback. They've got all this and that like one in one sessions. This is cool. Uh, yeah. So, like, yeah, for a while there, like, yeah, for, like, a couple months, I was just doing nothing but that, like, 10 hours a day, like, just, like, you know, on YouTube, on Google, like, you know, in Ableton a little bit, but I was just, like, learning about all these things. Uh, And then I think, like, once you get a handle on things, like, I started doing more of, like, you know, I'd be trying to spend, you know, six hours in Ableton a day and then maybe like two hours learning or whatever. Um, but like you burn yourself out doing that. Um, mm-hmm. I think towards the time that like, you know, like about, cause I got to the point where I was like doing, you know, maybe I'd do like an hour of video stuff a day and then I'd be making the timer beat. And a lot of timer beats, I would spend closer to an hour on just because like, honestly doing a timer beat in 30 minutes is hard, you know, and like just getting started and finding a little thing, you know, it was a little more comfortable for me to do it like that most of the time. But I was doing that like every day and then, you know, I'd be doing other stuff. Uh, But yeah, I spent way too much time for a while and it did kind of like burn me out. I kind of had to like, find more of like a healthy routine, but I mean, at a certain point you've got to translate that into writing music, you know? Um, Cause like you can't be, all right, you should be a lifelong learner. Everybody should, you know what I mean? Everybody's a lifelong learner. Like if you stop, like mm-hmm. you'll like, you know, whatever. But like eventually like you can't just be a student your whole life you know what i mean you've got to like get that mentality like you've got to find that separation on the mentality of like you know even while you're a student like you've got to be able to come in and write like a boss you know what i mean when you're writing a track and just let yourself write even though you are a student and you're still learning all these things uh but yeah i think that slowly just translates into spending more and more time from not watching videos to like, okay, like we're spending time in Ableton and I'm actually getting hands-on experience. And then I don't know, you've got to get feedback 
on all that experience because otherwise you're just sitting in Ableton for six hours a day and you don't know what you're doing. You know what I mean? You might not be getting much done. You don't know if the tracks you're making are good, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I think, like, there's probably a couple months of... And even before those couple months, like I was spending a lot of time watching Mr. Bill videos and like, you know, other stuff. Uh, so, yeah, it was a solid couple months of doing a lot of video work and everything. And then like once you do all that, you'll have like references and stuff like, OK, I know I can come back to this video and learn this or whatever. But like I would say try not to like overthink most of the areas you know what i mean like you want to just like get like a general like understanding of each area you know like don't stress about out about mastering each one because like you know like you don't need to master the echo plugin or you don't need to master like you know what i mean like using this plugin or this synth or whatever you know uh like, but you just want to have all that knowledge sort of there at your head so you can kind of use it combined with all of the other stuff. Um, but yeah, that all just translates into time of writing songs. And then once you do it wrong enough times, you start like seeing these little right ways to do it. And you're like, oh, I'm going to start doing that more. Uh, and then you slowly start getting better from there. But yeah, it was a lot of time at first. Now I'm probably, I probably spend like two hours a day in Ableton, I'd say. Um, like there's probably maybe two days off a week and then like one or two days where I'm spending six to eight hours or whatever. I'll just get like sidetracked. But uh, yeah, you definitely have to like make it a habit. Me starting out with like saying, okay, I'm going to do this full time as a student, like, and just like treat it like you would, like, if you're going to school, you're like, yeah, I'm not working right now. I'm taking on debt because I'm learning stuff. I'm going to do this. Like, like maybe not the best idea because this isn't like a great career path. You know, you're not going to start getting checks anytime soon. Like, I did. It was for $10. Like, I don't know what I'm going to buy with that. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, but like, uh, yeah, doing that, like starting out heavy on it, it kind of helped me like get into the habit of this is just what I do now. You know, that really should be like the question, not how much time do I spend a day doing it? It's like, you know, it sh should just be like uh subconscious in your head. Like you just wake up and like, you're not trying to learn stuff. You're not trying to write a song. You just like start going about your day and then because it's a normal day for you, you open up Ableton and spend three hours in it, you know, and then go do other yeah. stuff just because that's part of your process. That's who you are. That's what you do. Um, Amen. Build, building strong, healthy habits. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted to make sure I got back around to this early on in the conversation. I asked the chat, you know what their favorite tune off the ep was and people were all over the place which is a dope response because it means you know it's like people like the whole thing um and then i wanted to ask you if you have a favorite off of it and if so why um 
probably don't tempt me. Um, just because, like, I don't know. That it's almost it shouldn't exist, really. Like it's kind of <laughs> like the verses are like pretty standard hip hop. You know what I mean? Like hard eight oh eights, like uh, you know, big snares, uh, and the vocals are just silly. Like how it starts out, like I'm so modest, purple hair goddess. Like it's like okay, she called herself modest and like you know called herself a goddess in the same line. It's just fucking funny to me. Um, that shit. And then, yeah, great. yeah the build-ups, <laughs> the build-ups took forever. Like, me getting the drum beat right on the build-ups, and I think, like, eventually adding, like, an extra little vocal layer. Like, I went back and forth with uh, Richard Sixth Street, like, for fucking, oh, man, hours, tens of hours. Like, so many feedback sessions, like, one-on-one sessions on getting that build-up right. Because it's like weird, like you've got these hip hop verses, and then all of a sudden you're going to go to the pop chord progression <laughs> for a build up into like a you know a bass drop, and it took a long time to get right to just get it a lot of like moving drums like milliseconds over and everything, like and we ended up like gritting the kicks and snares for the build up, and that's like what fixed the problem is like just gritting the kicks and snares. Uh, for what do you mean gridding like getting putting them the exactly grid. on the grid yeah the rest of the song had a ton of lilt to it like oh mm. yeah every all the drums are like way off the grid uh but yeah for the build-up that was like the final thing that like brought it together is just putting the drums on the grid for that one part uh but yeah and then no it figure. drops and it's like i don't know the drops are like stupid but they have me <laughs> nod my head uh but i don't know that's probably my favorite song on it nice Nice, yeah. Um, any like final like words of wisdom, something you want to leave all the humans with? Mm. Any any uh, any advice that's been killer to you, or you know, anything you want to shout out? I feel like we covered a lot of stuff already. We sure uh, did. I mean, if, I mean, if, if nothing been... else, we before we started the podcast, you had some words on like being genuine and like your like your process for coming up with your own style or just not, not caring and just making what, what you wanted to make. I feel like that would be a good place to leave it as well. True. Yeah. So right before we were talking, he said that like, uh, my EP sounded really like original, which I thought was funny because, uh, like when headbang society did their like write up on pop and champagne they also had said that like oh the sound design in this is crazy you know this is so original we've never heard this before and in my head i'm like okay these are all splice samples like i didn't make any of these sounds you know uh and then yeah it comes down to like when you're writing just using all the influences that you have from other people as little tools in your pocket and just being yourself and being confident as yourself and intentional as yourself in the writing process to where it's like, okay, we get to this point and, you know, I want to use like this part sounds like, you know, G Jones might do this and he would have a little cool fill in there. And then you can kind of use that and then put in your little G Jones bass or sound or whatever, or, and then come back to what you're doing. Uh, Whereas if you go in and just try to make a G Jones song, uh, you know, and try to be G Jones, like you're not exactly going to be, you know, 
the most creative as you could be. That's not going to come off as you. That's going to come off as you trying to make a G. Jones song. Whereas you, as a producer, as an artist, and as a G. Jones fan, who's listened to all this crazy music by G. Jones, you know what I mean? Like all this cool shit, instead of writing a song and trying to say, okay, I'm going to be him you use all that knowledge you have from listening to all that cool music. And, you know, uh, you just use that while you're writing. And if that's an appropriate tool to take is saying, okay, he might do this here or a sound like, you know, this that he uses might be cool here. Um, that's going to let you kind of use your influences to your own creative advantage instead of just coming in and emulating them. And we also kind of mentioned how doing the arrangement exercise on a G. Jones song, if you're not comfortable with making that type of music yet, that's a great way to learn. Go in, do the arrangement exercise on a G. Jones song, like make that exact song. That's not going to be the most creative thing for you to do. But you're going to learn a lot about it. Like we we're talking about how, I've been making burn a boy beats lately, like Afro beats, like 100 BPM, like eighth note or dotted eighth note snares, you know, sometimes four to the floor. It's like, I just haven't done that yet. So like what I've been doing is pretty much the arrangement exercise, you know, not exactly, but like I've been going in and trying to make a beat that burn a boy would rap on, you know what I mean? And like, that's been really helpful for me to learn. But, like, that's not what's going to be used when I go in and write my own music. Like, when I write my own music, it's going to be that sort of subconscious, like, inherent knowledge from doing that that's just going to give me more tools in my belt to use when I write my own music. Uh, Amen. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Cool. All right. Yeah. Let the people know where they can follow you online and where they can find you. Yeah. I am everywhere at Alby Bass Music. Alby Bass Music. All Go follow the man. All one word. Cool, cool. Here, I'll put it in the chat. Yeah. Drop that in the chat. We'll have that in the podcast notes as well. Yeah. Man. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you, Alby. Thanks for taking the time and kicking with us. Thanks to the whole chat. Big up, big up chat. Big, big up, big chat. And, and uh, big up, yeah. Albie. Big up, Albie, hey. for sure. Until next time, humans. Peace. Deuces. And peace among worlds. All right, humans, thank you so much for being here with us. And Albie, on behalf of all of us, thank you. Make sure you follow Albie. His uh, his socials would be down below. And follow him on your favorite streaming sites. We got a few of those down below where it'll take you right to his track, Juicy, with Jazzy. And uh, then support our sponsors, Dojo TV, where you can get free producer live stream classes from the producer Dojo Senseis. We even recorded this episode live over there, and you can get in the Discord chat and ask questions. It's a great time, highly recommend it, and it's free. Why not? The weekly download, where you can learn from Ill Gates and his private weekly group lessons and get access to over 250 more episodes in the archive for just 20 bucks a month. 
and guest practices where you can learn from Seth Drake at the Approach Institute. He is the best engineer we know and your first class over there is free. Hit up our website, thehumanmusicpodcast.com for more episodes, socials, and free sound packs. Follow us at Human Music Pod on Twitter or at The Human Music Podcast on uh, Instagram and other socials. Uh, you know, follow me at Luke Rain Music or at What Would Trap Jesus Do. Follow Rip Kenny at Rip Kenny Music and follow Tesco at I Am Tesco. All right, y'all. Till next week when we'll be back with Cryptochronica. He's back for a second episode. If you haven't heard him yet. Go check him out in the meantime. Way, way back uh, in the first, like, 20 episodes. He's in there somewhere. Uh, but, yeah, Cryptochronica, that's going to be a good time. We'll see y'all next week. Peace, humans. Peace among worlds. I like it. <laughs>